Father, we just thank you, Lord, for the power that is in your word. We thank you for the grace of God upon our hearts and for the ability to be able to hear what you are saying to us by the power of your Holy Spirit in us, working in us, Lord. Make real the truth of God to us this morning. We need you, Lord. There's nothing in and of ourselves, Father. We put no confidence in ourselves, Father. We put all our confidence in your ability to speak to us. So speak to us and minister to us in Jesus' name. Amen. All right, well, I want to kind of wrap up my little series that I've sort of had going on in an interspersed way about the life of Joseph. And I just think that when you study the, the life of this guy, it's quite profound. And you see the character and the, the, uh, the stamina and, and just the sense of the call of God upon his life. And, you know, we've been talking about the call of God over these last few weeks now and calling, uh, talking about what that would look like even in our own lives and the kind of attributes that it needs for us to be able to follow the call of God. You know, it was amazing. Uh, yesterday we had our DMS Masterclass for one of our, our uh, sessions last year. This was their, their time for their, one of the masterclasses. And we were talking about, uh, the question was posed, what do we do right now in the, in the context of the kind of atmosphere that we're living in in, in 2021? you know, in the, the 21st century, where everything is given to our generation. There's, everything's on tap, everything's there, everything's available. We're a very prosperous generation. And, you know, how do we live out the life of living with great humility, etc.? And I, I, I commented and, and I, I remembered a comment that my brother-in-law had said to me, Chris Manusama, who went through persecution, as many of you would know the stories that we've told over the years, went through severe persecution on the island of Ambon. And he said, you know, we had our jihad and we've gone through that. And that, that their, their church shone in the midst of that persecution. They shone in the midst of that through worship and prayer and just devotion to God. And they saw incredible miracles, which I've, I've mentioned to you all before. But then he said this point, he made this point and he said, however, the jihad that the Western church faces is comfort. And I thought, wow. That is an incredible insight and an incredible perspective right there. And, you know, I've said to our church for, for decades now, if you've known me long enough, you will have heard me say that uh, we have to act like a persecuted church before the persecution happens because it takes an, it's a certain attitude. It's not having a martyr mentality or a, or a um, you know, a sort of self-pitiful mentality. No, it's having a death to self that we, that we talk about all the time in DMS and in, in our church services. And it's really interesting. I woke up this morning to read a news article about what's happening in Myanmar. And it's so tragic to see these people that are standing up to the, the governmental coup. Many of you probably have, have read about that and heard about that. And they're, they're standing up for democracy and, and uh, against the bullying of the, the military there. And it's all these young women, young and old women actually, that are heading and leading the charge in Myanmar. And they're not just being vocal, they're getting killed. And they're willingly going out on the front line to be killed. And I read one quote and it really moved me. I, I just started crying as I was reading this story. I know I cry a lot, but uh, I get so moved by, by 
people's responses. I get so moved by their responses to the reality of what's going on around their lives. And I study people and I study situations. And as I read this, I read about this young woman who said, you know, we don't care about our life. She's 20 years old. And then there was another one who's in her 20s. She's a doctor. These people have been educated and they're so demeaned in their society, even as women. They're so demeaned that the, the, the tradition is that even the women's clothes from the lower half of their body is not allowed to be washed with the clothes from the lower half of the body of men in case the men are defiled by the spirit of the women. You know, this is the kind of uh, atmosphere that these women have grown up in, the culture of their, of their nation, and yet here they are, educated, and, and they're fighting for democracy, for, for the right to be able to speak and to live their lives freely, and they're saying, we don't care if we get killed. In fact, they're saying, we're not doing it for us, we don't care about our lives, we're doing it for the next generation. And I read that and I was so inspired and I thought, they're laying down their lives for a system of government that is a worldly system. And yet we as Christians, are we really prepared to lay down our lives and live the way that Jesus calls us to live? Are we really willing to let go of the jihad (laughs) of comfort in our own lives and live in a manner that is worthy of the calling of God. And I think it's so in line with the principles of the call of God that we've been talking about. You see, there is a call of God. And Brian mentioned it this morning in communion. Jesus calls us to follow him. He says, you know, he, he, he's, he is the calling. He says, you follow me and then I will make you something. We just have to follow Him. We don't get to pick and choose and and decide what we want to be. But if we have a passion for the kingdom of God, if we have a passion for this entity called the church, if we have a passion, forget all of that, just for Jesus, we will love what He loves. And we will follow Him. And we don't have to figure out any of the journey. We don't have to figure out how we get there, what we're going to be. We don't have to try and manipulate circumstances and try and understand where, where we're going and why we're going there. Because God won't tell us that. He didn't tell Joseph. He gave him glimpses. He gave him dreams. He gave him a few things. But man, the journey that guy took was so bereft of any form of clarity. He made that journey all because he believed in God and loved God and wanted to serve God at his own personal expense. You know, I said a few weeks ago that uh, the, the, the Israelites uh, in, in Egypt and, and in Babylon, they shone in the middle of their slavery and in the middle of their persecution. The Western church can't even shine in the midst of prosperity. And that's a true statement. And there's a wrestling going on in the hearts and the souls of us as human beings that live here. And it's not about selling all you have and getting rid of this and getting rid of that. It's a heart attitude. It's a willingness to serve other people at our own personal cost. And that cost might be our time. It might be our words. It might be our love. and It might be our service. You know, don't get all religious on me and think we have to do this, that and the other. No, this isn't about works. This is about a heart. 
that says, I'm going to follow the call of God. Because remember, what is the call of God? When I talk about the call of God, it is following Jesus. But Jesus says, follow me and I will make you fishes of men or I will make you something. But that's always in the context of the larger calling of the church. We are called to be salt and to be light in this world. And, uh, you know, we're, we're living in, in a time where uh, there is so much upheaval. And, man, I can't wait till we get into this series on the book of Revelations because you'll learn that persecution is meant to be our friend. It is suffering is our journey. This is Christianity. Are we all excited about that? I just got a thumbs up and a smile from Joel, so that's saying something. Um, but, you know, th- this is what it is. And uh, this is what we're called to do. You know, there's a... And I think it's really important for us to understand that faith is not about when everything is going well. You know, trying to get all our ducks in a row, all our, all our things and our, our circumstances in our life perfect. No, it's not about that. It's, it's walking. It's almost walking upstream. It's going against the flow and just walking out our lives. And when we do this study on, on end times in the book of Revelation, you'll see that is the call of the church. Guys, we're never meant to be comfortable. God wants us to walk according to the call of God, to go through the suffering. You know, there's an incredible scripture in Psalm 69, 1 to 3. And it says, Save me, O God, for the waters have come up to my neck. I sink in deep mire where there is no foothold. I have come into deep waters and the flood sweeps over me. I am weary with my crying out, my throat is parched, my eyes grow dim with waiting for God. Now this psalm pretty much describes the feelings of so many people. And uh, yet <clears throat> in that very moment, we need to understand the bigger picture of God. When we feel like that, it's so important that we can zoom out and understand the bigger picture of God. But that psalm describes the wrestling that goes on in the hearts of human beings. Now you might say, hey, Di, I'm fantastic. My life's going great. I've got this, I've got that, I've got a great job, I've got this, that and the other. Hey, you just live a little bit longer. Let me speak as somebody who's in her 60s. Do you just live a little bit longer? If you want If you put your hand up and say, I want to follow the call of God, I want to follow Jesus, you wait long enough, there will be something that brings grief into your heart. Whether it be, I'm not talking about tragedies and traumas, I'm talking about things just not going our way. Things just not happening the way that we thought they would happen. You know, my little journey of life that I had planned out, it didn't quite work out that way. There will be something that will trip us up. But that's when we keep our eyes on him and we keep following him and keep our eyes looking at him. But in this psalm, it's incredible because he's saying there is no foothold. And sometimes people go through circumstances. And I've watched this happen, especially over the last year. There have been people who who feel like they've lost their foundation, who feel like they've come into deep waters. The floods have swept over them and they've grown weary in crying out. Does God really hear my prayer? Does church really work? No, church doesn't work. It's not about church. It's about Jesus. And it's about his word and his truth and his spirit. You know, we have been talking about the call of God. And last week, Bram gave an incredible sermon about Peter and talked about being poor in spirit and gave the, you know, he was literally this example of somebody who went through some pretty terrible circumstances and ended up, you know, denying Jesus, and yet he was the guy that gave the very first sermon, and thousands were saved, and it was absolutely amazing. And it sounds great uh, from, 
you know, when we read about that and go, wow, what an awesome moment, a victory for that guy. But if you look at it from his perspective, he was actually a broken man. And that's what Brahm really pulled out of that story. It was quite amazing, actually, watching it last week and uh, watching it together down at Dromkeen. There was a real presence of God after the preaching and everyone was really quiet. We just began to worship, but it really spoke to us. You know, this guy was poor in spirit and he realised he had no confidence left in his own strength. He knew he'd denied Jesus and uh, he had he earlier had so much confidence in what he could do. He thought he'd be able to, you know, oh, Jesus, I'll never do that to you. And yet he ended up doing the very thing that he said he wouldn't do. And he realised there was nothing in himself. You see, we have to understand that God will take us on the journey. And if we had to have some of these things knocked out of our lives, he would do it. Because when we put our hand up and say, God, I want to follow Jesus. I want to follow so that I can be made into something that is worthy of your calling, so that it is worthy of the life that you've called me to. We need to understand that he always has a plan to look after his people. So the minute you and I put our hand up for that, we fit and slot right into the purpose of God, which says, yeah, come on, get on board. Let me show you what it looks like. Yeah, you'll go ahead and you'll still live out your life. You'll still have a great job. You'll still be a mum at home or a dad at home. You'll still be going to the shopping centre. You, you might not ever hold a microphone. Heaven forbid we've had way too many people aspire to the microphone. We don't need any of that. We just need people to get on with living life. Yes, you'll do all of that, but your heart and your mind and your soul will be set apart for the call of God to serve the people of God. And uh, we can't force the hand of God. We can't make things happen. And uh, we have to learn how to walk in accordance with the call of God. And so there is a time of being called. You know, 1 Corinthians 7.17 says this, Only let each person lead the life that the Lord has assigned to him and to which God has called him. Now, obviously, in the seventh chapter of 1 Corinthians, it's talking about a specific set of circumstances, but the principle is still the same, that there is a, there is a life that God assigns to us and there is a certain aspect to which God calls us into. And that's as individuals. And that's a profound thing to realise, that he knows uh, everything about you and I. So he always has a plan. We are the called out ones. We are the ones uh, that are being called into that plan that he has for our lives. And he knows how, where, when all of us need to be called. He knows the process necessary for that call. And he also knows what the final moments of the race that we're running are going to look like in that call. He knows how to take us from the beginning to the end. He knows how to keep inviting us into the presence of his word and his truth and how to to keep inviting us into walking in that call. But remember, he is the call. Jesus is the one. He is the call. He creates the pathway. And so, you know, there has to be a way for you and I to journey in this thing called life. And I believe it is in this whole aspect of just coming low before God and walking in a place of humility. And as we begin to look at more and more at the life of Joseph, you know, there was a breaking. And even in the life of Peter, he was broken in a way that he could follow him, Jesus, well. And when we put following God as the, as the preeminent factor in our lives, I can guarantee you now there will be suffering. I'm sorry, guys, but I'm not going to tell you a lie. I'm not going to preach hype to you and say, you know, do this and you'll be rich and you'll have great things and you can prophesy this in your family. No, the minute you say, I'm going to follow Jesus, there will be grief in your life. Because do you really think the devil's going to leave you alone? 
Do you and I really think that he can, you know, that he can crucify Jesus, the head of the church, but the body he's just going to leave alone? I don't think so. So it takes toughness. But remember, we talked about that a while ago, about embracing suffering and coming into that place of hope. So there will be grief, there will be sorrow. But the thing I want to talk to you about today is don't let grief lead you. Don't let grief lead you. Um, you know, we just have to, you might say, I, like I said before, I don't have a lot of grief in my life. You just keep living, waking up every day, keep having relationships. Hey, get married. You'll have grief, guys. Tell me. Tell me about it. Uh, you know, have a job. Get fired from your job. Go through a pandemic. It brings an unsettling, doesn't it? It brings grief. You might think is a bit of a strong word, but you understand that the, what I'm trying to say is the sorrow, the, the essence of uncertainty and what's really going on. Where's my footing? So when we look at Joseph, and I want to finish my thoughts on him today, an amazing young guy from the age of 17. We know that he had a couple of dreams from God, one after the other, and obviously he recognised that that meant that was set by God. So he knew uh, that he was called. But as soon as that call was set up and he agreed to it and he responded in faith to it, the journey of grief and suffering was always also set up for him. And if you go back and read the story, it's, it's amazing. This guy went through this profound journey of grief in Genesis. I'm just going to read you a few scriptures and give you uh, the summary of, of what he went through. 37, 4 to 5. But when his brothers saw that their father loved him more than all his brothers, they hated him and could not speak peacefully to him. In other words, there was a lot of unfairness now. There was a lot of injustice. You know, this young kid was very innocent and he would have looked up to his older brothers. Uh, and it goes on to say, now Joseph had a dream and when he told it to his brothers, they hated him even more. Now back a few verses earlier, we read that he, Joseph had actually dobbed on his older brothers to his dad. So they probably weren't real thrilled with him. But even so, what is the role of an older sibling? It's to protect the younger ones. These guys weren't doing that. They weren't doing that at all. They hated him. They conspired together. Then we, then we read in verses 6 to 11, he said to them, hear this dream. And he starts to naively, innocently tell them the dream. Behold, we were binding sheaves in the field. And behold, my sheaf arose and stood upright. And behold, your sheaves gathered around it and bowed down to my sheaf. And his brother said to him, are you indeed to reign over us? Or are you indeed to rule over us? So they hated him even more for his dream and for his words. And then he dreamed another dream and told it to his brothers and said, Behold, I have dreamed another dream. Behold, the sun, the moon, and the 11 stars are bowing down to me. But when he told it to his father and to his brothers, his father rebuked him. So now, not only is he hated, now he's getting rebukes and being told off by his dad and said to him, What is this dream that you have dreamed? Shall I and your mother and your brothers indeed come to bow ourselves to the ground before you? And his brothers were jealous of him. But his father kept the saying in mind. So, so far, they've hated him, they've mocked him, and they've been jealous of him. And then we begin to see that they start to have premeditated scheming and trickery and violence and ultimate betrayal. These are the older brothers. Keep thinking about that. These are the older brothers to this young, young guy who's 17. 
Now, so far, he's number 11. There's 10 older brothers. They're well and truly in their 30s and 40s, probably. 20s, 30s and 40s. They're a lot older. They should know better. They've already probably got wives and families. They should know just how to care for family members, but they don't. There's a betrayal of their position as older overseers of their own flesh and blood. And so it says here in in chapter 18, verse 27, see, the heart is desperately wicked. The human being's heart is desperately wicked. This is why there's nothing that we can have confidence in in ourselves. We have to be poor in spirit and realise, God, I need you to outwork your life. I want to follow you, Jesus, but I literally need you to help me because I can't do this because our hearts are all desperately wicked. We could all be Joseph's older brothers. Okay, verse 18. They saw him from afar and before he came near to them, they conspired against him to kill him. Great, now they want to kill him. They said to one another, here comes this dreamer. Can you hear the resentment? the mockery. Come now, let us kill him and throw him into one of the pits. Then we will say that a fierce animal has devoured him and we will see what will become of his dreams. So it's all premeditated. But when Reuben heard it, he rescued him out of their hands saying, let us not take his life. And Reuben said to them, shed no blood, throw him into this pit here in the wilderness, but do not lay a hand on him that he might rescue him out of their hand to restore him to his father. So he, this guy's got his own little plan going on. There's a lot of point scoring with dad going on here. Sort of behind the scenes, he's thinking, I want to score points with dad. Remember they were all jealous that the dad loved this young guy more than them? So there's a lot of politics going on in this family. You know, this is why our hearts can be so deceiving because there are all these issues. And, you know, they had their own grief. See, we all have things we're dealing with. We all have these insecurities. In fam- family life, will bring these things up in our own hearts. It's how we deal with this stuff. Now, Joseph, we're going to see what he did. It's, it's profound. So Joseph came to his brothers. Now, then it says, they stripped him of his robe. Now, this is physical assault now. This is physical assault. The robe of many colours that he wore that his dad had made him. You know, he loved and adored his older siblings. It says earlier that he walked out into the field looking for his brothers because his dad had spoken to him about speaking to his brothers. So he'd gone looking for them. And innocently, naively, putting his trust in the leadership and the company of his older brothers. But of course, when they saw him coming, they're premeditating his murder, for goodness sake. All because God has a plan for this kid. All because God had the audacity to speak to him and Joseph had the audacity to tell his older brothers whom he should have trusted what was going on in his life. Wow. You know, if that had happened nowadays, they'd probably be arrested. This is violent assault now because it goes on to say they took him and threw him into a pit. The pit was empty. There was no water in it. So now they're going to starve him, deprive him of the very thing that will keep him alive. There is no sense of humanity in these older brothers. These aren't even just bad robbers or thieves on the road. These are his brothers that are betraying him. They've thrown him into a pit. They're being horrible to him. They hate him. It's, It's unbelievable. And then, listen to this. They sat down to eat. They show zero conscience. Wow. 
Can you imagine what he's going through? He's down there thinking, why are you guys doing this to me? He's 17 years old. Their hearts were so hard. And looking up, they saw a caravan of Ishmaelites coming down from Gilead with their camels bearing gum, balm and myrrh on their way to carry it down to Egypt. And Judah said to his brothers, what profit is it if we kill our brother and conceal his blood? Come, let us sell him to the Ishmaelites and let not our hand be upon him. For he is our brother, our own flesh. And his brothers listened to him. So in spite of all of this, in spite of all of this, now this guy gets sold. In spite of all of this, he's still keeping his eyes on God. Now there is unresolved, compounded grief in the heart of Joseph. Can you imagine just this build-up of grief? It's, he doesn't even have time to, you know, to, to do DMS and sit and navel-gaze and you know, go through Matthew 18 and, and, and forgive and, and learn how to say, you owe me nothing. He, he doesn't even have time to grieve or to be despondent or despair. He's going from one level of grief to another. Now he gets sold and traded into and given as a servant to Potiphar's house. And Potiphar was the captain of the the house guards to to Pharaoh. And now he goes into another situation. And now, you know, so much for the dreams that is telling him, there's the call of God, you're going to be this. Now, you know, he's handsome, he's blessed by God, the Bible tells us. I read that scripture a few weeks ago. And so what happens? This guy gets picked on. The devil is after him. See, when the call of God is on your life and on my life, and it is because we belong to Jesus, the minute you put your hand up and say, I want to follow you, Jesus, the devil will be after you. But look how Joseph responded. He's the most incredible example to you and I. She now lies about him because she wants him. She lusts after him. And she, she, she hounds him and, and pursues him and wants him to come in and lie with her, the Bible says. But he refuses. And then finally, she gets a hold of him and says, come on, I want you to do this. And, and he says, no. And he runs out of the room because he honours God in everything he does. She grabs his, his jacket or his top or something of his clothing and uses that as a weapon against him and later on lies about him and says, you know what, he's tried to lie with me and he's tried to rape me. Well, of course, now what's going to happen? Uh, Potiphar, the husband, his master, is pretty darn angry. And now he's got incurring the wrath of his own master, whom he's trying to serve. And in fact, the Bible tells us that everything that, that Joseph touched was blessed because he was there. So Potiphar's house was actually blessed because he was there. But now the wife is seducing him, lying about him, and now he gets sent into jail. And it says in, in uh, 39.19, it says, As soon as his master heard the words that his wife had spoken to him, that this is the way your servant treated me, which of course is a lie, his anger was kindled and Joseph's master put him into prison. So now he's in prison. Then he's forgotten. He's completely forgotten. And of course, we we heard about how it took a whole two years before the name of Joseph was brought before Pharaoh. And I mentioned when I preached on this a while back that I believe it really is highlighting to us that there is a timing of God. There is a timing of God. Why didn't God get him out quicker? Well, because there is a timing in God. There is a waiting in God. And Joseph's character was being forged in the fire of waiting on God. 
This is tough stuff to recognise. He was going through phenomenal injustice. You know, as we follow the call, there will be injustice. He's this idealistic young guy. You know, he, he just was innocent and he loved God and honoured God. But, you know, the Bible says the Lord was with Joseph. The Lord was with Joseph. Even while grief was compounding in his life. And, you know, like I said earlier, Joseph hasn't even dealt with this yet. He hasn't had time to process this yet. I don't know of many 17, 20-year-old, 25-year-old guys that really know how to deal with grief or just men or women. Usually grief sort of starts to come up and bubble up in our 30s and 40s and 50s and 60s. We just keep getting on with doing life and we bring more comfort into our lives to sort of squash down and try and appease that feeling that's rumbling on the inside of our hearts. But really, there's grief building. It's compounding in our lives. And this is the trouble with the Western church. We're so bringing in things that uh, external situations, external things that tell us that everything's okay. But at the same time, there are other things building in our lives. But the Bible says he was, God was with him. He was just taking grief upon grief. So verses 21 to 23 says this, But the Lord was with Joseph and showed him steadfast love and gave him favour in the sight of the keeper of the prison. Think about it. There was no earthquake like in the book of Acts and suddenly Joseph gets free. You know, it's always different for you and I. We can read these amazing stories in the Bible and go, I want that God. No. The only consistency that you and I have is the faithfulness of God, is the goodness of God. God knew he didn't need to get him out. Why? Because he had a plan. It was way bigger. It was way bigger than the comfort of Joseph being stuck in a prison. He knew the timing. He knew all the things that he had to get into place to position Joseph later on to lead the people of God into a place of safety and stability. But he'd found a willing heart in Joseph that trusted him regardless when everything looked like it was going against him, while grief upon grief upon grief was compounding in his heart. He saw the faithfulness of God. It's amazing. Can you imagine how despaired he would have been, how despairing, how lonely he would have been? He wouldn't have spoken the same language as these Egyptians. He was so far from family, he had no idea what had happened to his brothers or to his father, whom he loved, and yet God is there walking with him. Sometimes we demand and expect God to be so over all our little circumstances, and I've learned and I am learning to let go. And let God be in charge of even those I love the most. Even those that I invest so much love in. Even those who are a source of comfort to me. Maybe things aren't our comfort, but maybe people are. But even that, as we follow the call of God, we learn to let go. We learn to let go and we trust in the goodness of God and in the faithfulness of God because there's nothing like following Jesus. It's crazy, you know, when you start to reflect on the grief that this guy had later on in in chapter 42, 21, it says this, and this is when all all the brothers were already in the company of 
of Joseph and Joseph knew who they were but they didn't know who Joseph was. Hopefully you all know the story. If you don't, please go back and read from chapter 37 right through and you'll get a good understanding. But they're now standing with him and, and of course there's Joseph and he's got an interpreter with him because remember he's pretending they don't know that it's him. So he's, he's speaking in, in the language of the Egyptians and they're speaking in the Hebrew language and there's an interpreter in between the two of them. And so it looks like this guy doesn't know anything, but of course he can understand everything they're saying. And you know what they say? This, this gives us insight into the grief that this 17-year-old boy started off with. Forget all the stuff after, 17 It says, in truth, we are guilty concerning our brother in that we saw the distress of his soul. They saw it. As they're taking off his robe, as they're physically assaulting him, removing that thing, as they're throwing him down in the pit, as they're leaving him with no food and no water, we saw the distress of his soul when he begged us and and we did not listen. What a betrayal, guys. What a betrayal at the most basic level of humanity. And yet here he is, hearing all this now as a grown man, as a man in a senior position, second only to Pharaoh, senior position in the whole of the land of Egypt, ready to be a blessing to the nation of Israel, ready to bring a great blessing to keep and maintain the people of God alive on the earth. That was the ultimate plan of God, was to keep the people of Israel alive on the the earth. And he found a 17-year-old boy whose heart was pure and innocent and would be used. But the minute he responded, the call of grief was also set up in his life. But he kept going. And that's what's so incredible. Guys, do not let grief lead you. Do not let it lead you and don't be blinded by grief. Don't be blinded to the character and the nature and the person of God. It is worth it. It is worth the call. It is worth the call. And he says, and and Reuben answered them, "Did did I not tell you not to sin against the boy? He's trying to sound righteous now, but hey, he still did it. But you did not listen. Like he's trying to wipe his hands of it. These guys are pretty weak, very weak in character. And so now there comes a reckoning for his blood. They did not know that Joseph understood them, for there was an interpreter between them. Then he turned away for them and wept. So this guy knows this, and he turned away and he wept. Like all that sorrow, I, if it had been me, I would have gone, Bleh! and it would have just all come out. I would have wailed right then and there. But this guy is so aware of the call of God. He's so conscious, conscious of, the, of the destiny of God. He doesn't know what that destiny is. He's not like us reading the Bible, going back now and understanding what that plan was. But he knew there was something and all he had to do was have blind trust in the truth of God. You see, this is the, this is the reality right here and I want you to hear this. You walk with your grief and he'll walk with you. You walk with your grief and he will walk with you. This guy simultaneously walked with his grief, allowing the plan to work its way out in his life. Why? Because suffering produces character, and character produces hope, and that is godly hope. 
You know, we're going to hear about this when Brahm and I begin to teach from the book of Revelations. Well, really, it's Brahm's teaching. I'm just going to mouth off what he tells me I need to teach. He's the teacher in the midst of us. We're going to learn that persecution and tribulation is part of Christian living. So then you say, but Diane, the Bible tells me I'm to live an abundant life. Now, you know what I'm learning? We've been fed the lie from certain sectors of Christianity that the abundant life is just this great prosperous, you know, having, having all this material stuff in our lives and health and wealth and all this sort of thing. But I can tell you now that that's got nothing to do with the true abundant life. Abundant life is having his life surging through us in the middle of any form of suffering that we're going through. That is what abundant life is. So this guy continued to honour God. And Joseph answered Pharaoh. This is, uh, sorry, this, uh, let me give the background to this. So as Joseph now is brought before Pharaoh, he's brought out of prison. Pharaoh's heard about the whole two years have passed by. And uh, sorry, you have to go back and read the chapter so you can keep up with the elements of the story. But I want to highlight this journey of grief in him and this journey of character in this guy. And so Pharaoh now is saying, look, I've heard that you, you were able to interpret dreams. I've had a couple of dreams. I need you to interpret them for me. And Joseph answers Pharaoh and says, it is not in me. I love that. He realises, like Peter, that he can't be confident in himself that he's poor in spirit. He can't do this. He exhibits all these traits. It's phenomenal. He said, it's not in me, but God will give Pharaoh a favourable answer. He always responded with God first, regardless of his circumstances. In fact, the guy even named his sons after acknowledging the work of God. It's, it's amazing. He always saw that in everything, there was something higher than his, just his personal situation and it, got, it says in, in 41 verses 50, it says, Before the year of famine came, two sons were born to Joseph. Asenath, the daughter of Potiphar, priest of On, bore them to him. Joseph called the name of the firstborn Manasseh, for he said, God has made me forget all my hardship and all my father's house. You know what that tells me? He didn't hold any anger or bitterness towards God. He didn't blame God for anything. There was zero blame, nothing. And then he says, the name of the second, he called Ephraim, for God has made me fruitful in the land of my affliction. In other words, he recognised the goodness of God and he was thankful. It's just amazing to realise this young man, you know. And then, then, there's a, then we go to chapter 43. And it says in verse 26, and this is where the brothers have now come back with the youngest brother, you know, Joseph's been doing a bit of wheeling and dealing because he's try, he hasn't told them who he is. He's just trying to get them there. He wants to get his whole family there. He even wants to get his father there. So he's keeping his identity secret. And, uh, and so now through a lot of things that have happened, they've gone back and they've brought the younger brother, Benjamin, Joseph's younger brother, the 12th son. He, Joseph was number 11. He was number 12. They came back to get more grain and to release Simeon, the older brother, who he'd held as a bit of a guarantor for the, for the uh, uh, coming in of, of Benjamin. And it says, when Joseph came home, they brought him into the house to him and gave him the present that they, that they had brought with him and bowed down to the ground. And he inquired about their welfare and said, is your father well, the old man of whom you spoke? Is he still alive? 
They said, your servant, our father, is well. He is still alive. And they bowed their heads and prostrated themselves. And he lifted up his eyes and saw his brother Benjamin, his mother's son, and said, is this your younger brother of whom you spoke? Now, he already knew that Benjamin had come because he'd organised lunch with them all and he'd orchestrated all this stuff. So he's, very, he's a good actor, this guy. He says, is this your youngest brother of whom you spoke to me? God be gracious to you, my son. But listen, then Joseph hurried out for his compassion grew warm for his brother and he sought a place to weep. Once again, that, that, that devastation is coming up in his heart. He's a beautiful man. He's a beautiful man. He'd make a great pastor in Melbourne life. He'd be someone I'd want to be a leader in our church because he has great empathy and compassion for people. And he entered his chamber and he wept there. So he went alone. Then he washed his face and came out. And controlling himself, he said, serve the food. Think about it. This guy was deprived of his youth. He couldn't just get to be a a 20-year-old, a 24-year-old and hang out with his younger brother. He couldn't get to do all that. He was also deprived of his younger brother. The, 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 The compounding grief that is just continually coming upon him is profound. But then finally, in chapter 45, after a few other things happen, Joseph finally cracks. And it says in verse 1, Then Joseph could not control himself before all those who stood by him. He said, Make everyone go out from me. So no one stayed with him when Joseph made himself known to his brothers. And this is the... This is the punchline for me. This is the thing that absolutely spoke to me when I, was, when I was studying this. It says, And he wept aloud so that the Egyptians heard it and the household of Pharaoh heard it. He was so loud. All this grief that had built up in his life, he finally let it out. And Joseph said to his brothers, I am Joseph. Is my father still alive? But his brothers could not answer him, for they were dismayed at his presence. You better believe they were dismayed. (laughs) They're looking at this guy knowing, I know what power you have from a governmental position. We don't know what you are capable of doing to us right now. You've already tricked us a couple of times and, and, and deceived us and made us think that this, that and the other and brought us back under false pretenses. Like They're, they're pretty terrified of him now, recognising the power that he wields. He wept so loudly that everyone could listen, that everyone could hear, even the people that had been sent out of the room, the whole of the household. He had self-control up until that moment. And you know why he let it go? Because finally he realised he'd fulfilled the purpose of God for his generation in the midst of his grief. But this guy was so beautiful. He was so amazing. In 45... Verse 4, Joseph said to his brothers, come near to me, please. And they came near to him. And he said, I am your brother, Joseph, whom you sold into Egypt. And now do not be distressed or angry with yourselves because you sold me here. For God sent me before you to preserve life. Wow. He never gave up. He kept his heart right the whole time. He put the call of God first. He simultaneously walked with his grief. Sometimes you and I have to leave the source of grief to walk away in order to walk towards the restoration and the only solution for that grief, which is God himself. 
You know, this guy was so beautiful that finally in chapter 50, you know, after the father finally dies and they've all come now into Egypt and uh, ready for the next phase that God has for the people of God in the, in the major plan of God. And, of course, once the, the father has died, Joseph's brother, uh, they were a bit scared. And it says, it may be that Joseph will hate us and pay us back for all the evil that he did to us. So they sent a message to Joseph saying, your father gave this command before he died. Say to Joseph, these guys are so conniving. They're always manipulating. They're always looking out for number one. Please forgive the transgression of your brothers and their sin because they did evil to you. And now please forgive the transgression of the servants of the God of your father. Joseph wept. He was a crying man. I like that. I'm a crying, I'm a crying man. Joseph wept when they spoke to him. His brothers also came and fell down before him and said, Behold, we are your servants. But Joseph said to them, Do not fear, for am I in the place of God? He still kept his heart right. He still kept his perspective right. Remember, perspective is everything. He says, Am I in the place of God? As for you, you meant evil against me, but God meant it for good to bring it about that many people should be kept alive as they are today. So do not fear. I will provide for you and your little ones. And thus he comforted them and spoke kindly to them. You see, he saw God's overarching plan for his life and for his people. I want to finish with this. And I just think it's so important for you and I to recognise that there will be stuff in our lives. But I see so many Christians, so many people looking for solace and release and relief from their grief. And that's great. That's fine. We've all done that. But at the expense of following the call of God. And they try and bring comfort in to band-aid over and patch over that deep down need in their lives. But I can tell you now, the only true way of getting free from that is to walk simultaneously with that grief by following Jesus. You know, I've watched Brahm and his brother Chris live lives that I don't know too many other people that have gone through the kind of heartache that they've gone through growing up and the abuse and that the, they've had betrayal, they've had abuse, they've had, you name it, they've had it. And uh, death, every loss, every form of grief you could imagine. And both of them became senior pastors. And you know, I just heard about my older brother-in-law, Chris, just before Christmas. Here he is now, a man, probably 68 years old, and uh, heading towards 70. And this man has pursued the call of God, walked in the call of God, given out, grown an incredible church, raised up leaders and people around him and preachers all over Indonesia and over America and in Australia and the Indonesian churches. And yet the grief that that man carries, not many people understand. But his wife and his younger brother's wife understand the grief that they carry. And it wasn't until just a few months ago that something happened in my brother-in-law's life. And it was one beautiful sentence that my sister-in-law said to him, just something you would normally say, and all of a sudden he broke down crying. And he didn't stop crying for hours. He cried and cried and cried, just like Joseph. Finally, the grief came out. But the whole time he'd been pursuing the call of God. Guys, you and I are called to follow Jesus. 
We are called to die to ourselves. Don't try and negotiate your way, your flesh's way around that. It doesn't mean you can't have beautiful things. We, we live in a blessed country. We can enjoy the blessings. We can live in the city that God has placed us into exile, like it says in Jeremiah. We can live our lives. We can enjoy. We can trade with the things that we have. We can use our wisdom to buy houses and buy things and do all those things. But in our hearts, Jesus has to be number one. And we have to follow him and trust in him. So let's just finish now. I want to pray. And um, none of us are called to be distracted and enveloped in the entanglement of the stuff that comes against us. You know, it's not about purging ourselves of our pain, but walking alongside it with God in our sights. Because the call is too precious, the entrustment is too fragile, and the destiny is too dependent on only God making it happen. Let's just pray. Father, I just I thank you, Lord, for the call of God. I thank you for what you've done in our lives by giving us Jesus. I thank you for the soberness of the truth and reality of following him, even in this crazy, postmodern, whatever you want to call it, era, post-Christian almost era. Don't even know if that's the right phrase, Lord, but everything's upside down, Lord. Everything's upside down. Lord, you've called us to be salt. You've called us to be light. And you've called us to walk in a place of truth. You've called us to keep our eyes on Jesus and Jesus alone. Father, I pray even now for every one of us. There there are areas of grief, Lord. There are in all of our hearts. Some more than others. I just pray right now that you would come by the power of your Spirit and minister to these people, Lord. Father, you know when the time of grieving happens, Joseph went through so much and yet he hung on to the purpose of God. He didn't make an idol of his experiences. He didn't try to resolve them himself. He kept his eyes on you and trusted you no matter what he was facing. Lord, give us the grace. We should be able to do even more than Joseph because we have you living inside of us now. Father, come by your power right now. If you need to, just put your hand on your heart and just, I want to pray that God would just take away any sense of grief. Lord, you see the the grief in people's hearts. You know the longing. You know the things that they're going through and what they've gone through. Lord, I know that you're with them. It's not my job to get them free from all of that and purge them of all of that so that they can feel like they're living an abundant life. No, that's your job, Lord, is to walk alongside them and keep them going. Father, all I ask, Lord, is you put strength within them. All I ask, Father, is that you put courage within them to continue walking. All I ask, Lord, is that you put a resolve in them, Lord, to keep their eyes on you. You're the only one who can lead them. You're the only one who can heal them. You are the only one who can touch them and transform them. And so, Father, we put ourselves 
into your hands and we trust you and we believe you. In Jesus' name, amen.